everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm Zach Strickland here with, as always, John Paul Hampstead. JP, welcome. Hey. Uh, so, JP, we have had, I mean, there's a famous quote, and you probably know the author of it, but may you live in interesting times. That's a good one. Uh, I don't know who said that, but um, we certainly do live in interesting it is, times. It is, it is uh, you know, maybe not the best of situations with the coronavirus uh, situation occurring throughout the world, but, you know, some really interesting developments in the freight market this week. Yeah, so we're seeing uh, robust volumes up now. You know, I think yesterday they were up 5% year-over-year, today 8%. Some of that is just sort of timing with the way that spring surges happened. But we think a lot of it is real activity. Um, I've talked to freight brokers who said that, uh, specifically, I talked to a few freight brokers who specialize in refrigerated capacity um, and have large grocery and restaurant customers. They ex they're seeing kind of food buying intensify mm -hmm. on the on the consumer side, but shift shifting away from restaurant into grocery. So that's where people are spending their money. Um, shelves are emptying faster this time of year, or emptying faster now than normal for this time of year. Uh, things like dry foods, canned foods, bottled water, flying off the shelves. Mm -hmm. And um, we think that, uh, you know, it, basically like in all the major markets, uh, uh, truckload volumes are going up. Is that right? Yeah. So about 95 of the 135 markets that we have show an increase in volume week over week. Now, like you said, this is a seasonal time of year where we see volumes increase in general. Now, what is anomalous is the amount of increase. It's the amount of increase and the wide distribution of yes. increase. Because typically um, in the United States of America, the, the, the way we know that this is being driven by the consumer is because of its wide distribution, right? Yes. Because it's like in the United States, um, the production of commodities is geographically bound and, and far more concentrated than the consumption of commodities. Right. Most markets are back home markets for that, you know, for that reason, that they consume more than they produce. For right? sure. So um, the fact that demand is going up in all of these different markets suggests that it's being driven by consumer activity. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people were anticipating that volumes would dry up because there's not a lot of freight coming in from China. You know, right. we've, we've been talking about the import yep. volumes and the Chinese New Year impact being deeper and longer than normal. Uh, that's still going on right now. Yeah, uh, still getting deeper. Yeah, as we as we speak. And again, even though they've said that, you know, there is recovery in China, they've stabilized the virus spread and they've gone back to work for the most part. Uh, production is up to close to 100% capacity or it's approaching it. Uh, according to some reports, we don't yeah, know. If that's yeah, it's, it's interesting. I actually, I actually saw a report. Uh, Bloomberg has a great uh, Next China newsletter, and they were saying that actually um, local officials are telling. Uh, people, uh, factory owners to run machines even when the factory floor is empty ah. to get their, because they have ele electricity consumption quotas. That they, and so they, they, like, some of it is not all that it seems. I, in fact, we do, and the thing about the recovery in China is that it's, it's, 
being done in a piecemeal and uncoordinated way. You've got you've got to think about raw material suppliers, right. manufacturers, logistics people, the freight forwarders, the actual transportation capacity being on the line. And so the way that those um, people return to work at different times and at different capacities means that supply chains are not going to just snap back to 100%. Sure. They're going to move at sort of this, the, the pace of the weakest link in the supply chain, right? There's going right. to be bottlenecks and things like that. So again, we do kind of expect a slow grind upward in volume. I mean, in terms of domestic volumes, that's not going to translate to America like right away. No, of course yeah. not. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, uh, the, the import side still looks pretty bad. What we're seeing is a rundown of inventories, right. which have been um, at about 1.4 months, the inventory to sales ratio for yep. the past almost two years. Several. Which is kind of interesting because it's like, the inventory to sales ratio was super high in the 90s, dipped down really low um, during this era of sort of a lean supply chain and lean manufacturing, this worldview that took hold that really looked at the cost of inventory. Right. But then it's kind of come back up in recent years with... Um, you know, uh, sort of different philosophies and approaches to warehousing and the positioning of inventory, um, especially with regard to e-commerce. So, so people are holding more inventory closer to the consumer, um, and it's been steady at about 1.4 months, which is high compared to say the previous five years. Yeah, it uh, used to be kind of a pre-recessionary signal. Uh, 1.44, 1.45 was typically like I think it got up to 1.5 during the recession of two, uh, 2008, 2009, um, and you know, like you said, we've changed the way we consider inventory, so that's going to push it up a little bit higher. So the new threshold is probably a little bit higher than what we thought it was. So there might be some, um, there might be a ways for inventories to run down. There, there's plenty of stuff on shore in the United States of America. The, what will be interesting is how retailers like Amazon um, and even uh, you know omni-channel distribution um, that, that Walmart does and Target does, how they react, how reactive um, you know their supply chains are, how quickly they can fulfill goods. We might see start seeing like some sort of uh, you know can you know some some delays and things in in like prime service for, for example sure. things like that yeah it, it'll be interesting to see the timing of everything as well because we're talking about march people are running down inventories in march now typically this time of year inventories are high because everybody has already adapted to this chinese new year cycle where you know they have to pull forward all this freight in january february build up the inventory stock but this is stock that's set in place for June, July. Mm -hmm. So they're getting ready for the summer seasonal rush. And if they're pulling down those inventories now, we may not see the actual impact until second, third quarter, when inv if inventories don't recover quick enough. Right, and I, and I, I think this kind of underpins some um, the truck led carriers sort of bullish view of the market in the second half of the year saying that, okay, anytime you get this unexpected surge of freight, if, you know, if all of a sudden China has to import a lot more stuff and shippers are bringing a lot more things you know, into the U.S. when, they're, when they normally aren't, right? when, um, if that's freight, if that uh, surge of imports overlaps with other kinds of demand issues. Seasonal. Then it, it creates, at the very least, it creates confusion in the market, which is typically inflationary. Right. Um, 
best case for you know truckers obviously is that it dramatically tightens relative capacity and sparks go up. And it already has. So we're watching our tender rejection rate index uh, seasonally increase, but also again, just like everything else, uh, it's increasing above a level of which we would consider normal yeah, for so, this type of market, this so, type of scenario. Um, you know, I think yesterday it broke above the five and a half percent level that it had been kind of hovering at. What went to about five point uh, eight, five point seven, five point eight. Now, now it's, it's like seven, six point six, six point six. Okay, six point six percent. But the increase and the magnitude of the increase is what's significant here. Yeah, you know, six point six by itself, not necessarily that high, but the magnitude of the increase in a short period of time is what's important uh, yeah. because it's a signal of potential significant disruption in the market. And we have some of the biggest markets in the United States, uh, Harrisburg, um, you know, these consumer markets, really. Right. Uh, Harrisburg, um, you've got Dallas and Ontario. Ontario, of course, is the big warehouse capital of the country. Yeah, um, the Inland Empire. A lot of, lot of inventory in those markets there. So, uh, you know, these are, these are pretty big singles. But just like with the volumes, 100 of the 135 markets we track all have increasing tender rejection rates. So it's not just a symptom of a market here and there. It's a symptom of the whole market capacity. Right. I think uh, it's fascinating. We'll see how long it lasts. I mean, you know, I think people are panic buying different kinds of commodities in anticipation of movement restrictions, quarantines, and shortages. Mm -hmm. um, who knows if those will actually ever come? Right. But for now, um, it seems like the consumer is really juicing uh, freight demand. Yeah, and, and, and it's interesting, too, because one of the things we are concerned about in general is the fact that what if the virus creates a panic in the United States where everybody is now quarantined? You know, schools have shut down. Businesses have started to say work from home. Right. You know, Amazon, Microsoft have all said, you guys just chill out at the house if you have to. Um, what this will do is, in, in theory, it'll decrease demand over time because people are not willing to go out and spend as much. But actually what's happening is people are spending more. <laughs> I know, and I wonder if that is a sort of a, a, a cultural difference between like the Chinese consumer and the American consumer. A lot of people talk about how American consumers are far less easily spooked in times of economic uncertainty. Right. They tend to spend money, uh, ex you know, extend credit lines. You know, leverage up and they're buying houses, things like that. Where you know, and, and th there might be something to this. If you think of like the psychology of the American consumer, if you're worried about something, you 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 reassure yourself by go not by saving money, but by right. going out and buying stuff. Yeah, like that 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 something about that we, kind of um, sat, like strikes like true to me. In, in a way. Well, we are we do live in a society, a culture of spending. Consumer activity is rewarded in general. Uh, yeah. We're encouraged to. We're presented with all sorts of things all the time that right. draw this out of us. Uh, so we're almost like an addicted culture, <laughs> if you will, whereas over there they're very conservative and withdrawn. Um, so, yeah, I think there is definitely something to that. And again, uh, you know, not just looking at right now, you right. know, where we are seeing this capacity tightness. I think that we are going to see these this shock wave throughout the year in terms of these ebbs and flows, just like you were talking about. So we're going to see, you know, limited volumes coming into the country now, but we're going to see domestic volumes increase. Domestic volumes, depending on, of course, the progression of the virus in the country and quarantines and things like that. So that should, in theory, dry up volumes eventually, regardless of demand. But at the same time, if imports, 
but capacity will dry up at the same time because people will not be driving as much. You'll have truckers off the road. So it's going to be an interesting time uh, here in the next couple of months. Yeah, it's really unprecedented. Um, I think it speaks again to the limitations of basing your freight forecasts on purely historical data. I think what's really important is getting you know, sort of real-time uh, views into all different kinds of, of, of the freight, you know, all, all different perspectives on the freight market, mm -hmm. including different modes, different geographies, different um, you know, lengths of haul, that sort of thing. So um, we'll definitely keep you updated uh, as the situation develops. Yeah, I think I think just a few weeks ago we were talking about how like LA has dried up. You know, there's not a lot going on there. Maybe you know we see volumes are down 20 to 30 percent year over year due to the trade war diminishing, etc. Uh, and now we're talking about how LA is actually a hotbed of activity again after the fat the past few days. Yeah, um, and that's that's what's so fascinating is that uh, you know, and Mike Baudis actually made a good point yesterday. He said um, for imported shipments hitting the West Coast, about three quarters go intermodal, one quarter is trucking. The East Coast, it's kind of the opposite of that. Right. Three quarters trucking, and one quarter intermodal. So, as this you know import trough kind of starts affecting the East Coast that might be another kind of potential inflection point just to be aware of. Yeah, I mean, capacity itself is not necessarily about the total number of available trucks in the no. market, but also the balance of the trucks versus the yes. demand of so the market. So we call, it, we call it absolute capacity versus yep. relative capacity. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if the trucks aren't where they need to be, then that's... Capacity's tight, risk go Tighten capacity. Yeah. Doesn't matter how many trucks, absolute value of trucks are in the market. So. Again, we're going to keep a close eye on all of this happening. We do expect a lot of volatility this year in the next coming months. Um, you know, some of the other markets to watch right now outside of the Northeast and West, which of course is a big corridor, it's going to be Chicago. Chicago has not had that big breakout moment. Uh, it's been a very quiet market uh, year over year. Uh, for the past seven to eight months, really, it's been kind of diminished. Uh, Dallas has already started to kind of pick up. A little bit. We're seeing signs of life there. And Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. uh, not quite as volatile as, as we would anticipate. February, we saw some early signs. So I think that it's, it's one of those trends that's going to march across the country in waves. And then we've, we've I think we got to talk about produce season. It's already started in Mexico. Um, this week is the... Uh, this Florida's Strawberry Festival. Record so, high temperatures, according to Dean Croak. Uh, 91 degrees. They've already decided to just say, we got to harvest all this stuff because it's simply too hot. Not something you kind of think about this right. time of year. But right, that so, means yeah, so Florida is the mm -hmm. second biggest um, state for strawberry production. Mm -hmm. They've got about 70 truckloads a day coming out for the next, like well, I think, like six weeks or so. Yep. Um, so... That'll start ramping. That's our winter. That's considered their winter crop. Winter so crop. that hasn't even started like spring season yet. Yeah. But over the next month, um, we'll see, uh, you know, South, South, Southern California turn on, South Florida turn on, and then, you know, just depending on how this progresses, how, what, what, what the ocean does, you know, it could be off the races. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot to talk about in the next coming weeks, so be sure to stay tuned to On the Spot and FreightWaves.com for any freight updates. Thanks.